thank God. And secondly, you should thank your mom. Because without her, you wouldn't be here. So uh, you'll notice when you came in that we put candy on all the chairs. That's for the moms. But the reason that we put it on every chair is because we know what moms are like. And if they had a piece of candy and their kids didn't, they'd give it away. So we gave everybody candy today to make sure that the moms would get their candy. So, um, you know, I just, uh, I'm so thankful for Mother's Day and just, just a time to honor the moms in our life. And that is just such an incredibly important thing. When I think about my mom, uh, my mom was very committed to her family. She was so tenacious. Uh, she was talented. Uh, I think she's probably the most stubborn in the sense of many ways, but including a, just a committed individual. So I remember one, one story that kind of reminds me of the character of my, my mom is uh, when I was in sixth grade, our sixth grade class did this paper drive where we were supposed to go collect newspapers and then the class that won got this party in the park and got to miss school for a day and it was just this really kind of a fun thing that we got to do. So um, I happened to know this neighbor and he had been collecting newspapers for probably 50 years. And so I found 50 years worth of newspapers. And so we took, we took our VW van, we took all the seats out of it, and we loaded that van from floor to ceiling all the way up to the doors like three or four times. And I, and I took this van in and we turned in all these, these newspapers and our class won by a landslide. And it was all because of the papers I brought. So my sixth grade teacher, actually, there were about two or three kids in the class that she really didn't like, and I was one of them. <laughs> and so she, after this whole thing's done and our class is winning this, this great prize, she says, um, yeah, you can't go to the park day that we're all going to. You have to stay at school. And I said, why? And she said, well, you're missing some homework assignments. And I'm like, well, that wasn't part of the deal. And I'm like, well, you know, I was so used to sitting by the class at lunchtime. All the other kids would go out to play. And I had these three good friends. They were all the, me and the other three people that the teacher hated who sat. You know, we became actually good friends, uh, missing recess. Um, but anyway, my mom, uh, when I went home and told her that, she said, yeah, that's definitely not happening. And so she went to the teacher, and she just said, uh, um, this, this whole thing of homework, that was not on the agenda before this whole thing. You came up with that afterwards. So give me a list of every homework assignment that Roger's missing. He'll do it tonight. And I'm just telling you, he's getting on the bus. I'll be there to put him on the bus. And I think that that, that teacher might have looked at my mom and just had her own you know, well-being probably came to mind. And so uh, my mom did. I sat there for hours doing every homework assignment, and sure enough, I went to the park. Uh, my mom was so committed. I, 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 I am thankful for, uh, for Michelle's mom. I think about so many really awesome qualities that I see in Michelle, and every time I hang out with her mom, I just think this is where you get that. Um, we are very thankful for our moms, and I know that you guys are thankful for your moms as well. And that certainly doesn't mean that every mom's perfect. If you're a mom sitting here today, I'm sure you were looking forward today, maybe. Uh, Proverbs 31, um, that's the perfect passage for Mother's Day. Let's put up this, 
this list of qualities that is just incredibly amazing, and then let's measure every lady by those qualities. That's what you were looking forward to, right? A checklist that we could make everybody feel inadequate. Um, that is certainly not our goal this morning, that's, but that's the gift that many moms get on Mother's Day. Um, so I, I just, uh, Proverbs 31, I think is a perfect passage for us to consider on Mother's Day. Um, it is so important. And the, the, the bottom line of a Proverbs 31 woman, first of all, anybody can be a Proverbs 31 woman. And the key to this whole section is found in verse 30. And it just says that a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. What great, what makes an amazing woman, what makes an amazing wife, and what makes an amazing mom is a woman who fears the Lord. And the sooner we learn to fear the Lord, the better off we are. And it doesn't matter whether you've lived your life not fearing the Lord. Anybody can be a Proverbs 31 woman. It, does not, it does not have to do with the details of your life. It doesn't have to do with the good or bad choices that you've made in the past. It has to do with today. And starting today, any woman can say, I will fear the Lord. My life will be driven by the fear of the Lord. And so today's an encouraging day, and it's an important thing for us to consider. And this is not about dads, but I just want to say also that any man, any husband, and any father can start today fearing the Lord. That is what makes a great man. It is what makes a great husband, and it's what makes a great father. But that's for a different Sunday. So I, I saw this video this week, and uh, it was of a dad who uh, he gave his daughter this old car. So he'd been saving this car. It had been in his garage for years, and it was dusty, and it was old. And he said, here, I'm going to give you this car because you're, you're 18 or 21 or however old she was, and says, I'm going to give you this car. And he says, I want you to take this used car, and I want you to take it down to a car dealership and ask them what they'll pay you for it. So she drives this car to a car dealership, and she comes back home. She goes, Dad, they said they'd give me $1,000 for it because it's so old. And he said, oh, okay. He says, all right. Um, now take this car, take it to a pawn shop, and see what they'll give you for it. So she takes it to a pawn shop. She comes back, and she goes, Dad, um, the pawn shop said they'll give me 100 bucks for the car. He goes, okay. He says, hey. Now this weekend, there is a car show, and there's a car show at this parking lot at this place. Take this car to the car show and ask them what they'll give you for it. And so she pulls up, she comes home, and she says, Dad, pull into the car show, and they said they'd give me $100,000 for this car. And he just said to his daughter, I just want you to know that um, your value the value of something and your value is not based on what somebody will give you. It's based on somebody who is esteeming the right things. I'm going to tell you something wrong with our culture. In our culture, we value the wrong things. Um, women, kids are growing up watching TV, living in a society that values the wrong things. Uh, many times, ladies sitting in church 
ladies growing up, adult women, measure themselves by the wrong things. And what is so sad is that there are many people, there are many men, many husbands, many kids who value the wrong things. Um, One of the greatest tragedies and heartbreaking things that I've seen in my life is when you see a lady with incredible talent and ability, and her very talent, her very ability is an irritation to everybody around her, or, or or an irritation to the people who matter most to her. Um, like a husband who just says, I hate your laugh. It's kind of funny. I, I'm, I knew some man who said that about his wife's laugh, but what I thought was funny is everybody who knew this woman, when she laughed, they just said, oh, man, it brightens up the room. I love hearing your laugh. I know you're here because of your laugh. Everybody loved that and appreciated that quality, but her husband was irritated by it. What a tragedy when in life we value and we esteem the wrong things, and that's what this morning is about. Mother's Day is an incredible celebration. Being a mom is awesome. It is amazing. It is an incredible blessing. Um, But motherhood is under attack. Even womanhood is under attack. Uh, We have men who think they're women and women who want to be men, and, and, and we have a complete misunderstanding of the incredible value that God has made for men to be who God wants them to be, for women to be who God wants them to be. And in our culture, being culturally sensitive, we actually value the things that God hates. And a person who values what God loves is viewed as a bigot and a hateful person. We live in a culture where things are backwards, and it's important for us in the church, it is important for us in our families not to be confused about what God says is a priority, that as we think about life, that we don't run around trying to please some knucklehead in our life, that we don't run around trying to please our culture but that we get up and every day our desire is to be pleasing to God, to be the person that God intends us to be, and that we recognize that's challenging in a broken world. And it's challenging for all of us because we have not all grown up and lived an ideal life. Is that not true? And yet God's plan is for us to be people who fear the Lord. Mother's Day can be an incredible day of pain and an incredible day of regret for people. Legitimate pain, legitimate regret. I want to read a prayer. This is a a poem, and it's written by Pete Gregg. And this is a prayer as we begin just to acknowledge that sometimes there's challenges associated with Mother's Day. So let let me read this. It's a prayer for Mother's Day, and it says, Today we pray for mothers who know love and joy, and for orphans' comfort. And not yet mothers, hope. And for single mothers, grace. And those, for those who are lonely, family. We pray for grace today for the mothers of prodigals, for those who have lost children, and for those who don't know where their children are. 
May the embrace of grace displace the shame. For moms in prison, for those who can't feed a baby, for those who miscarried and those who had an abortion, may those who never held their own child, for whom today is sadder than it is happy, know the joy of parenting sons and daughters within the family of God. For as a mother comforts his child, her child, says the Lord, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted. Uh, that is a prayer. That's our prayer for people who have struggled, who have had, who that for, for some this is a challenging day. I know people that avoid Mother's Day. They avoid coming to church on Mother's Day. But I do want to say this, that because of Christ, Mother's Day is a wonderful day for everyone. Because of Christ, sin, sorrow, failure, pain are never final. God's grace is there for us. That's the heart of Christianity. God's grace is there for every one of us. God saves us. God takes broken people with pain in their life, and he puts their life back together. That's what it means to be a Christian. God's grace is powerful for change, for restoration. God's grace is the promise that even if things are never fixed in this life, um, they will be fixed in eternity. Um, God works in the midst of and transforms problems, failures, and the less than ideal life that we live in. So today we're going to look at what God says is a godly woman. And we're going to hold that high. We're not ashamed of it. We're not going to try to avoid what God says because it might hurt somebody's feelings. We're not going to avoid what God says is virtuous because as we look at ourselves, we're going to see ways that we've fallen short and that we need to grow. No, we're going to take what God says. We're going to hold it high and we're not going to be discouraged by it, but we're going to put our target in the right place. We are going to value the things that God values. When we see in our life ways that we have failed, mistakes that we have made, we're going to learn from those. Instead of repeating them in the future, we're going to change personally. We're going to take the incredible blessing of living a life and not being the person that God intended you to be, and then to raise kids and to say to our kids, Here's all the ways I made some mistakes. Don't do those things. Uh, we're going to be involved in the church, and when there's ways we blew it as a mom and a, or as a dad, and there's ways we messed up in choosing who we would marry, all those kinds of things. We're going to walk in the family of God, and we're going to encourage and help other people not make the same mistakes that we made. There's nothing worse than people who have disregarded God and how they've lived their life, and they're older and they're mature, and then they sit around with younger people in the same place making all the same decisions, and they encourage them to make the same mistakes that they made that will bring the same heartache, the same pain, and the same sorrow into their lives that those mistakes brought into their own lives. We're to be people who are not discouraged, we're not beat up by the truth, but we look at what God says, we hold it high, we exalt it, 
and we repent for the times we failed, and we encourage and help other people as they live the life of faithfulness. So let's look at what God says. And let's not be ashamed of it. Let's be proud of it. Let's not devalue it. Let's esteem it. So let's look at this. Now, Proverbs 31. Uh, one of the things that, that you wouldn't re- actually know about Proverbs 31 is that it is an acrostic poem. There are, um, I, think, I, I think there's 11 passages in the, in the Old Testament that basically written in Hebrew start with A and B and C. It's actually Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, He. So it's different letters, but it's the ABCs of the Hebrew language. And, and actually this, these poems are written with the first standard, or the first letter um, by the Hebrew alphabet. And I was just looking at all of these passages. They all emphasize something significant. The most amazing one is actually Psalm 119, where it's not just one verse that starts with the letter. It's eight verses that start with the letter. I mean, it would take a miracle to write a poem like Psalm 119 about the Word of God with the themes and, and using the alphabet, I mean, God is an amazingly talented poet. But Psalm, uh, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, are written with the letters of the alphabet. And I think it emphasizes how significant this is. So let's look at it, and we're going to see seven things this morning, and we'll go quickly on each one, but seven important qualities. And those are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet just in case you'll want to see them. And uh, they're backwards. So the one on this side on the top is the first letter, and that's because you you read Hebrew backwards. So those are the letters. So let's consider our first point, and that is that a godly woman is of great value. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. An excellent wife. You know, marriage and family are a blessing. And this is talking to a king about a wife. And it's saying you need to esteem and value your wife and marriage. And you need to understand that a godly wife is rare and incredibly valuable. Now, marriage and family are not what provide value in life. There's tons of women that never get married. There are tons of women who don't have kids. It's not like you're valuable if you're married and you have kids. But marriage and family and kids are valuable. That is a worthy thing to give life to. And so we don't say that your only value comes from marriage and having kids. But being married and having kids are valuable. That is a good thing to esteem. And as we raised our kids, we wanted our kids to love marriage, to think about their life, to desire having kids. Like we wanted them to have that, but we never made them feel like your job is to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. I was um, talking to, to this one family. It was like crazy. They didn't want their daughters to go to college. Now, this is in this generation. Like this is a person that I know. And they're like, uh, moms don't need to go to college. What a ridiculous concept. And by the way, one that is not biblical. You don't find those ideas in Scripture. We want our kids 
to be talented, to be good at things. We, give, we, we wanted them to have every opportunity to live life as a full individual, making use of every talent and ability that God gave them. And if God blesses them with marriage and kids, great. If they're single for the rest of their life, awesome. And that's actually what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that in some ways, singleness is better than marriage. But in no way do we devalue marriage and motherhood. An excellent wife who can find she is more precious than jewels. Um, So the word for excellent, it's kind of a hard word to translate. Almost always it's translated as military force, valor, and might. So like the, the mighty men... This word is used to describe them, describe them. Powerful armies. This word is used to describe them. An excellent wife is valuable, noble, a woman of substance. Jewels are rare. Now, what is so unfortunate is that today what God says is valuable isn't valued. I think about Isaiah 5:20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in a culture that has reversed things that are valuable. And so an excellent wife, man, more rare than jewels. And we need to help um, men growing up to be able to see a valuable wife and appreciate that, to see a godly woman and desire that. And we need to help young ladies to grow up and to esteem and value the things that God says are valuable and not pursue empty, worthless things. I knew this guy who wanted to be married. You ever met somebody like that? I mean, uh, and maybe you're here. Um, But just people that are older, they're older in life, and they want to be married so bad. And uh, I remember this one guy at a singles group, this one pastor says, I've told this story, he says to his singles group, he's like, we got, we got 15 women over here and 15 men over here, and they're all whining and crying and brokenhearted because they're single. He's like, get your eyes off the floor, look up at the woman sitting across from you and go get married. <laughs> so we, this guy, he was a faithful guy, a lot of things in his life he was doing very well, but he wanted to be married so bad. And he also had a lot of things in his life he was struggling with. And one day, this awesome lady was interested in him. They kind of dated for a while. And um, he did not appreciate her. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why does she like him? <laughs> She's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Um, God has smiled upon you. And in his dating relationship, he was so dismissive. He disregarded her, was so disrespectful. And she just had such a heart for him. And I remember one time, I don't know if he knows that this happened. He was a good friend of mine. But but this lady comes to me, and she's really struggling. And I just said, I just got to tell you, if you were my daughter, I'd say get away from this guy. Get as far away as possible. Um, he broke up with you, Uh, be thankful that that happened. He's a knucklehead. And I didn't say that out of any disdain for him. He's just a fool. And we need to teach men to grow up and value the right things. 
the Bible tells us this. Genesis 2.18, everything God creates is good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. That's the first time that God said something was not good. I will make a helper fit for him. Life was intended um, for men and women to help each other and for a woman to be a helper to her husband. And you see that in this proverb. Um, Proverbs 19, 14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Only God gives somebody a good spouse. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And by the way, motherhood is supposed to happen in marriage. That's how that's supposed to happen. But you know what I think is so amazing? You have so many men married to amazing women, and they, they trade their wives, they trade relationships with their wife for some younger, better version or for their career, and they sacrifice something of true value for something that doesn't matter. An excellent wife who can find, man, that is something valuable. And I would just say this, um, being a woman of character is for everyone. And that's something that the church needs to recognize, value, and be encouraging and producing. Here's number two. The second thing is that this excellent wife, what are some of her qualities? What are the things that are true of her? Well, one is that she prioritizes her marriage. And I think when you're talking about Mother's Day, one of the most important things that a mother does for her children is to prioritize her marriage, to prioritize the relationship that she has with her husband. I know so many people, it always bewildered me in marriage when you hear of people that have been married for 25 or 30 years and then they get divorced. It's like as long as they got kids, they got something to do. But as soon as the kids are out, um, they're done. Or people who stay married for the kids. Man, there is something. I mean, yeah, stay married for your kids. But how ridiculous if that's your motivation for staying married. And by the way, that kind of a marriage is not a blessing to kids. We don't stay married for our kids. We stay married as an expression of godliness, as, as, as an expression of commitment to the Lord himself. And by the way, marriage is not, nobody's married or stays married because their marriage is perfect or because their spouse is wonderful. That is not why people stay married. People stay married, Christians stay married because they say God is in charge of my life and what God tells me to do, I will do. And if I'm in a miserable marriage, then I'm going to work on making it better. I think one of the greatest things about marriage, one of the things I thought about for Michelle and I, and our marriage is practically perfect, but I do remember this one day that we were struggling. And, uh, and one of the things that I was thinking about as Michelle and I went through some of these struggles is that my life can be miserable forever, or I can figure out how to work on having a marriage that God wants me to have, because exiting the marriage was never an option. And it should never be an option. And sometimes that happens. But that's not what God intends. And this woman prioritized her marriage. Look at this. It says in verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her, her life. It is a lifetime 
commitment to doing good to your spouse. You know, my uh, uncle's a comedian. He used to tell a joke, and he would say, don't ask yourself if you want to be married. Ask yourself if you'd mind be f- being financially destroyed by this person. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people think that uh, they have good marriages. Oh, you have a good marriage because you married the right person. I have a bad marriage because I married the wrong person. Or I have a bad marriage because my spouse tricked me. You know, I was thinking about Michelle when we first got married. She loved to do everything I did. She went surfing with me. She rode dirt bikes. She did all kinds of stuff. And after we'd been married for a while, I'd say, hey, you want to go surfing? She's like, no. I remember, I remember the last time Michelle ever went surfing with me. We're out in the waves, and Michelle's an amazing swimmer. She's a better swimmer than me, but this big wave comes, picks her up, slams her, on the, uh, slams her down in the water. She's got drilled. And uh, she paddles over to the shore. She's sitting in the water up to her waist, and she just starts taking my fins off. I'm like, those were expensive. And one of them just like floated away and was gone. I'm like, now I got one fin. I was like running, no, don't do that. Never gone surfing with me again. But you want to know something? Some people think that, oh, I got tricked. My spouse is different than I thought they were. And everybody else, it's not like that. We are not married and we are not committed because everything is working out okay. We're committed and we do good to our spouse Because that is what God tells us to do. And we don't do good to people who deserve it. Um, This this is not a popular, common marriage verse. I'm going to get to it in a second. But before I share the popular uh, marriage verse, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this. The wife is prioritizing her husband. But it just says, husband's... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We don't love our spouse because they deserve it. Jesus doesn't love the church because it deserves it. Ephesians 5.28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the own church, his, his own church. Um, any husband who hates their wife hates themselves. Like the two become one flesh. We don't hate ourselves. We love ourselves. We love our spouse. Not because they're perfect or they perform or they do everything right. If you think people with good marriages are married to perfect people, you're living in like disconnected from reality. Uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 14.1. This godly woman Um, She values and prioritizes her husband. She is blessing him and doing him good all the days of her life. It says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. One of the most important verses for marriage is not one that I think makes it into marriage counseling very often. It's um, Luke 6.35. And it says, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. See, there's sometimes that this godly woman and that godly women are kind to ungrateful, evil people. 
and they love their enemies and you don't think about getting married and that your spouse is your enemy, but sit around and talk to some people who are married. There's a lot of people who feel like their spouse is their enemy and the key to a good marriage is that you love your enemy starting with your spouse. And that's not the goal that we see our enemy that way. That's one of the key things that makes a marriage work. And this lady's committed to that. And she's committed to honoring what the Lord says. By the way, you train your kids to be married by how you teach them to treat their siblings and how you treat them to teach them to treat their friends at school. When you teach them to love their enemies, you're teaching them to be married. Uh, when you teach them to do good to their siblings, you know, people grow up and it's like, oh, yeah, kids hate each other. Brothers always fight with each other, and so do sisters. And a lot of parents have no concept of how important it is to teach their kids to love each other. And they don't realize that what you do as a parent will impact your kids' marriage, and it'll impact their parenting. So she prioritizes, and she prioritizes her husband. And when it comes to motherhood, marriage is the foundation. We don't love our kids and not care about our spouse. If you love your kids, you prioritize your spouse. You don't have a relationship that revolves around the kids. You have a relationship that revolves around each other. And together you love your kids. And part of how kids learn to love their mom is by how the dad loves the mom and vice versa. Here's a third thing. She prioritizes her family. So she loves her husband, but she prioritizes her family in her heart. Look at this. There's so much in here. Proverbs 31, 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She enjoys the labor. And by the way, uh, wool and flax, that was a super hard way to make linen. It's how you make clothes. And it's diligent, like painstaking work. Like, I don't know, maybe doing laundry. I hate doing laundry. Um, or just those, those tasks that we just do. And this woman, she loves her family and she works with willing hands. She's like the ships of merchants. She brings in food from afar. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. She considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strengths and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. This is a hard-working woman. And it, all that she does, this, do, do you notice it doesn't say she waxes the floor and she washes the dishes and um, she, uh, you know, does all the feminine things. Look at the list. Everything that she does, this is an expression of talent, of giftedness, of ability, and it is used everywhere for the benefit of her family, not to the neglect of her family, but for the benefit of her family. Her heart's with her family, and she uses every talent and ability that God has given her to bless her family. She's not um, some fleeting you know, destructive, wanton pleasure seeker. She's a person who her family is in her heart. I think about, that's one of the things I think about my mom. She was a hard working person. She would get up and she was diligent. 
and she was never like sleeping in. So one, <laughs> sorry, it makes me think of Michelle. When Michelle and I first got married, I was always afraid she'd get fired because she'd be late to work. Um, I should have checked with you, Michelle, before I started telling you all these stories. But um, I remember, you know, before we had kids, she'd be laying in bed and the alarm would go off. And it's like Michelle could sleep through a siren. And I'm just thinking, man, you got to get up and go to work. And I remember one time I, I, uh, I picked her up. I turned the shower on. I picked her up, carried her into the shower and like stuck her in there. You got to get going. And the weirdest thing happened. Because um, when we had kids, Michelle did actually quit working, wanted to focus on our kids, but it was so weird. Like she could sleep through a siren alarm. But, but Jessica or Julianne would be laying in bed and they'd let out this tiny peep and from like some far, Michelle popped up and she ran in there and she took care of them. You know, Michelle is now working, our kids are older. I don't have to get her up in the morning, she's trying to get me up. Her love for her kids transformed how she did things. She got up early. She, she didn't sleep through her alarm because she loved her family. And she worked hard and she was organized and disciplined. And it's something that flowed out of a heart for her family. And a godly woman is not lazy. She loves her family. Proverbs 6 says, go to the anto sluggard, consider her ways, be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. We need to teach our kids, and we need to work on having the character of being disciplined, hard-working people. We don't just make a mess in our room and leave it there. Teach our kids to clean. Um, when I was teaching my kids to mow the lawn, and, um, you know, I, I'm sure my girls mowed the lawn at some point, too. Like, we don't have, like, these men and women tasks. Everybody can do everything. But, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with paying kids to do chores, but I, I just remember saying... Um, yeah, you live here, so you're mowing the lawn. And am I going to pay you? Let me tell you what the pay is. Take a look at the lawn. It's a disaster. Look, look at the grass. Doesn't, doesn't it look kind of messy and overgrown? Mow the lawn. And then get the blower out and clean the sidewalk. And then edge it so it's nice and clean. Now stand back and look. Doesn't that look good? That's your pay. That you took a mess and you made it nice. Cleaning your room. Look, look, doesn't that feel terrible to be in this disaster? Clean it up. Hang your clothes up. Now look around. Isn't it nice to be here? That's your pay. We teach people to be diligent and hardworking. And we teach them to appreciate those things and, and how it feels good to work. And there's a lot of people that are like, I don't know. Um, we got a culture today where they can't actually get people to come to work because they make more money on um, unemployment. Like, what's the difference between unemployment and what I'm going to get paid at work? And there's actually a state, I don't know if you heard, they canceled unemployment because they can't get anyone to go to work. You know what? It shouldn't just be mo money that motivates us to do those things. And this godly woman is a diligent person. Um, look at this verse. Uh, 
Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. So this friend of mine lost his job. He was feeling discouraged. He just laid in bed, and his wife actually printed this verse and put it on the ceiling <laughs> above his bed. And she's just like, you just roll from right to left. Like, read that verse. Get up and go to work. By the way, he told that story, so it's okay. Um, here's the other thing is that she works hard for other people. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. You know, this is a woman who works diligently and she works hard for the well-being of other people, not just her kids, but people who are in need. It makes me think of the Christian character, Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look out to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You want to help somebody grow up to be a godly person, a godly wife, a godly husband, or just a godly individual? Teach them to care about other people. That's why families fall apart, because they're full of selfish people. And you know what? Maybe you're selfish, and maybe you have all kinds of fighting in your family, and, and, and you're not diligent, and maybe you're lazy. So look at the pain and sorrow that's happened in your life because of that and work on making some changes. And look at your kids, and don't raise them to be like that. Lay a foundation now. Work on things now so that when your kids get married, that's a gift you gave to some other person. How about number five? She lives out all of her character. She lives out her character in all of life. Look at this, Proverbs 31, 22. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. We can't get into that, but this lady dresses well. Uh, it's not like if you are in style that you're an ungodly person. Um, she has nice stuff. She works hard. And that's not an expression of, uh, of bad character, but her value doesn't come from what she wears. She has nice things because she's using everything in her life. She, her character is working its way out everywhere. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders. Her husband is respected because of her. Um, and there's a lot of reasons. People might just meet her and go, man, she is amazing. If he's married to her, he must be awesome. How did he get someone like that? She is a dignified, well-respected individual, and people have a higher view of her husband because of her. It could be, too, that she's taking care of the family, and she is supporting him, and she is encouraging him, and she is building him up. And part of the reason he functions well in life is because of the way she helps him, because of the way she blesses him. Um, instead of him coming home and her saying, you're an idiot and this is the 50 things you've done wrong today, um, he comes home and she's encouraging and she builds him up, makes him better at what he does in life. Her husband's known at the gates, and in this proverb, it's giving her the credit for that. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Merchants, Strength and dignity are her clothing. She wears nice clothes, but her clothing is strength and dignity. 
um, she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She teaches. She is communicating God's wisdom, and she's not prideful or arrogant. She's humble. It's the teaching of kindness. I think about the ladies in my life that have blessed Michelle, these older, mature people who love their husbands, they exalt their husbands, they're encouraging their husbands, they're so strong, so talented, and the things that I've learned watching them live, the investments that they've made in Michelle's life, these are not quiet people standing in the corner. These are people that, that God is using. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness her character is coming out in everything that she does. And she is a godly influence in her family. Look at verse 28, and then think about this for a second. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Um, so she has a family that looks at her and appreciates her value and her character, and she's being blessed. But one of the things that I think when I read this, she raised her family to think right and to have a right attitude toward parents. It's kind of this amazing thing. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a, with a promise. So God tells kids to honor their parents. But whose job is it to teach the kids to honor their parents? Their parents. She's got a family that appreciates her, and a lot of that has to do with the way she raised her kids. It is possible to nitpick anyone. You could put anybody under a microscope, and there will always be plenty of flaws to see. You know, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think one of the huge problems of people appreciating their moms and their parents is within a marriage when you have a mom and a dad that don't appreciate each other. They're always fighting. Whatever the flaws are, they're exalting. And then what happens? Their kids grow up and tear them down. You got all these parents trying to, I want the kids to love me and let's all be against dad. Or I want all the kids to love me and let's be against mom. And these parents criticizing each other in front of their kids and criticizing each other to their kids. Um, and as dads, hey, moms, you have a role in this. But as dads, it's our job to deal with this in our families and to set the tone and the example in our family. You know, I think about... Um, um, Abigail, remember Abigail in the Old Testament? This, this wife says that she was discerning and beautiful. And her husband's name was Fool. Uh, Nabal, I can always remember his name because it's the Hebrew word for fool. And I just think, how did he get the name Fool? I mean, certainly you read the story, the guy's a fool. But you just think, was he born? And did his parents say, let's name our kid Fool and raise a fool? I mean, I don't know. When he was a teenager, did they go, okay, we're changing your name to Fool because you are a fool. I mean, I, I don't know how the guy ended up with that name, but he lived out his name. And uh, she was this discerning, beautiful woman, and she did her husband good. One time he makes King David mad, and David's planning to come back and kill him and every man in his house. He's a fool, and she is beautiful, and she is discerning, 
And even Abigail, married to this fool, is doing him good. Because she's like, okay, don't even talk to her husband. Gather up bread. Gather up a bunch of people. Let's go talk to David before he comes and kills everyone. Like the servants go to her. And they say, your husband, the fool, is going to get us all killed. And she's like, okay. Well, let me go take care of this. And she goes out there. She has a conversation with David. And David just says, hey, today you just saved everyone's life. And her husband's home drunk, and she doesn't even tell him what happened. And the next day when he wakes up, she tells him. She says, by the way, uh, let me tell you about the conversation I had yesterday. And God blesses her because he dies. He has a stroke and dies. And he's like, all right, you were married to an idiot. Um, we'll just kill him now, and you can go find someone else. Hey, we're having fun today, huh? <laughs> she is a godly influence on her family. I want to read a couple passages to you. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. You want your kids to be blessed? Teach them to honor you. You know, don't grow up and, and, and you're in the kitchen and your kid's playing a video game. Mom, shut up. I can't hear. Don't let that stuff go. Mom, bring me food. What's taking you so long? You desire your kids' death when you let them live that way. So many kids are disrespectful to their parents. It is not for your sake that you teach your kids to honor you. A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. If your kids or if you despise your mom, you are a fool and they are a fool. It doesn't say if, if your mom's great lover and if she's an idiot, then hate her. It says if you don't honor your mom, you are a fool. It is a character quality. How other people feel about their parents is their character problem if they don't love and honor and obey their parents. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with their parents. There's something wrong with them. Proverbs thirty seventeen: the eye that mocks a father will scorn... And scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. God judges people who don't honor their parents. It's the greatest gift you give your kids is to teach them to honor you. Now, there's a whole lot of other reasons why teaching your kids to honor you is a good idea. One thing is when you give them advice, they'll take it. You know, so many foolish kids out there. You know, it's like you think about Solomon's son. He was such an idiot. You know, people are traveling from everywhere to visit Solomon. He was so wise. And when his son becomes king, um, he gets all his dad's counselors together. And he says, hey, uh, oh, what do you think I should do? How should I handle this taxation thing going on right now? And he gets all his young idiot friends, and then he gets the, the counselors that counseled with the wisest man on earth. And they say, lighten up on the taxes, be good to people, and they'll love you. And his idiot friends tell him, oh, no, don't do that. Don't, don't, do, don't take their advice. Raise the taxes. Show them how tough you are. And then, then he goes, my little finger's bigger than the thigh of my dad. And you just think to yourself, people traveled all over the world to hear your dad talk, and nobody's coming to hear you. And you're gathering up all your dumb friends, and you're going to take their advice? 
One of the reasons that we teach our kids to honor us is because it's in their best interest. When they sit around with a bunch of 15, 16-year-old fools and value what they tell them over what you tell them, that is bad for your kids. And yet, that's the world we live in. We don't honor gray hair. And this woman is honored by her family. Here's the seventh thing, and this is the key to everything. And that's that she loves God from the heart. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. Her desire is to please God, not people. First Peter tells us this. Don't let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold and jewelry, the clothing that you wear. But let, it, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. And um, being gentle is not weak. And we focus on all the wrong things, and people spend all kinds of money getting their eyes fixed, their face fixed, this surgery, that surgery, and they're not working on their character. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful, nothing wrong with working on any of those things. But if that's where your value comes from, there's something really wrong. Um, work on your internal character before the Lord, the fear of God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Lord, we are thankful for the godly women that you've put here. Lord, everybody falls short. And yet there are things here that we can work on, that we can grow toward, that we can aspire to. Help us to be a church that values and produces godliness. And Lord, um, you're also the God of restoration and forgiveness in ways we've fallen short. Lord, help us to repent. Things that we haven't done right in the past, help us to see them for what they are and move forward in obedience toward you. Lord, help us not to be discouraged or beat up. Lord, our acceptance comes because you died on the cross. You love us. You are righteous for us. You take broken people and you put our lives back together. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And every failure that we see in our life just results in glory and honor and praise to you. It makes us love you more. It makes us more gracious and humble toward other people. It gives us a desire to want to encourage and help in your name. Amen.